0: Hello, Fern here and what a special episode we have for you today. It's a chat with Laurie Vincent, one half of Slaves and now also one half of Larry Pink the Human. And it's in that new guise that he's contributed a song to Happy Place the album. It's a wonderful song. We'll hear it in just a bit and stay tuned to hear the heartbreaking story behind how it came to be. Okay, here we go. Hello Laurie.
1: Hello, how's it going?
0: I'm good, and I'm I'm really glad that you are on this mini-series of our podcast for the Happy Place album. And I'm I'm thrilled that you're on the album. Thank you so much for being part of it.
1: Thank you for having me. It's really exciting, and um yeah, dream come true.
0: Well, I've been listening to your song all morning in preparation to talk to you today and to really sort of like lyrically listen to it. So I thought we would hear. A bit of the song now before we go into our chat. So here it is. This is your song, Love You Bye, from the album.
1: No direction, just past and take. Lines of trace, you can't erase. There's no backspace. For the darkness it won't go.
0: Oh, mate, it gets me every time hearing that. It's just so beautiful. And for anyone that knows you from Slaves, obviously a very, (laughs) very different direction from what used to. You know, I've known you for a long time now and you would come into the live lounge and, and you guys would thrash about and make this extreme amount of amazing noise, a cacophony of noise. And this is is such a different direction for you. Can you can you talk a little bit about stylistically what you wanted to get from Larry Pink, the human, this this new musical side of you?
1: Essentially, the band was just feeling super comfortable. It was something that I've been working on since I was in my early twenties. You know, when you're single, you're angry at the world. You're working in a milkshake shop or Top Shelf if you're Isaac, and um, <laughs> and then your reality changes. You know, you. Um, become comfortable, you have kids, you settle down, you have a mortgage and it was easy. It was like I could keep touring, keep releasing music, had a fan base and I was just thinking what's the most unexpected thing I could do right now and that would be to sort of unleash my secret sensitive side. As a kid growing up I'd listen to like the Clash or Crass or Black Flag or Gallows, but equally, and maybe more so, I was listening to, like, Leonard Cohen, Elliot Smith, Ben Howard, Bon Iver, Dire Straits, David Bowie, Gaslight Anthem, so, so people that are real storytellers, and there was that whole part of my sort of musical DNA that wasn't getting used. There's a couple of songs, if you're a big fan of the band, on the albums where we did Strip It Back, Slow It Down... And they ended up being my favourite moments, but people don't want to see that live as much, so they never made the set. And I just was on one of the last few tours, and I was—I was just basically had thought, I need to have a break. Isaac needed a break, so I'm just going to start this. And uh, I heard this David Bowie quote, which I think sums it up perfectly. So he says, if you feel safe in the area you're working in, you're not working in the right area, Always go a little further into the water than you feel you're capable of being in. Go a little bit over your depth. And when you don't feel that your feet are quite touching the bottom, you're just about in the right place to do something exciting. Yes.
0: Oh, my God. You know what? I'm a massive Bowie fan. And I, I wasn't aware of that quote. And it obviously succinctly sums up what he was about, you know, changing his, his look, his genre, his influence and his whole character and is it quite scary for you to, to show, a, I guess, a more vulnerable side of, of who you are, not only musically, but, but who you are as a person?
1: Like I don't consider myself to be able to sing at all. I didn't think I could write lyrics. And that was the thing. I'm in love with lyricists. So being in the band and only really inputting into the music and sort of saying, oh, yeah, I think that lyrics good or have an idea for a chorus. To then step into like this realm that I like looked up to so much—that was really hard because I'm comparing myself to Isaac, comparing myself to my other contemporaries, and then it all dawned on me that like y- only you have your voice, so you have to sort of own your voice and make it work. I started writing this song five years ago. Really? It's so I got bought a guitar lately on Christmas, uh, 2015. And I remember sitting in bed next to Emma, my partner at the time, and I had the chorus and I was thinking about, at the time I was thinking about an argument we'd had where we stood on the corner of outside our flat in New Cross and it's raining and that lyric came to me. And it took me five years to build up the confidence to even finish writing the song. And the song was recorded way before anything had happened this year. And the song was actually about the intimacy you lose with your partner when you have kids mm. and that sort of selfish feeling as a man that you're your second fiddle and you want your partner and you want the intimacy, but it's a really hard balance. So especially Emma was hardcore earth mum, breastfeeding. There was no date nights. There was nothing. And it was, it's hard at the time to put that into focus. And the song's named Love You By because I used to walk to the shop and like I'd written the song and I was like, I need to come up with a title. And I'm a big fan of like Joy Division, where all their titles aren't in the lyrics of the song. So always trying to challenge yourself to make a lyric that's not just, make a song title that's not a lyric. And she was, she rang me up and she was like, did you remember the bread? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I've got the bread. Love you. Bye. Um, so that's where the title came from. Emma passed away in June of cervical cancer. What was unique about Emma is she had two smear tests that were clear and she actually went to the hospital roughly 30 times before it got diagnosed. So she was like on it. There's a stigma around that cancer in specific because people think if you have your smear test, you're going to be fine. But that's also obviously wasn't true. So I had this grand plan. I was like, put the band on a break take a year out to work on Larry Pink the Human and then at the end of that year, see where you're at and continue. As we started taking our year out, that's when Emma got sick. And I said to her, I was like, are you okay with me doing this? I think I really need to, to like pull myself through it. And she was like, yeah, totally. And I was like, I also want you to witness what I can achieve whilst you're still here and so she backed it fully so yeah we found out her cancer was terminal and then a week later we re- released love you bye which is why since this year like i believe in like the universe and the power of things so deeply
0: uh, thank you for beginning to start to share your story because i'm sure like anybody else out there when you're a young adult and you're starting a family it's just it wouldn't even cross your mind that you would have to experience this and and be in the position that you are today and i wonder you know what your your coping mechanisms have been obviously music's been a huge catharsis for you it, has that been the main thing that's kind of allowed you to to process what's happening
1: it is i think the i've written so many songs this year like stolen 10 minutes when The kids have just gone to bed or whatever and the lyrics seep out of me. Um, I think I've learned a lot of discipline through what's happened because like the six months up leading up to Emma's death, it would be, you know, 6 a.m. till 6 p.m. kid shift. And then Emma, you'd be with her when she needed something. You'd be woken up in the middle of the night for a baby or to get a hot water bottle for Emma. Um, So I developed lots of coping mechanisms. But what's interesting and what I find quite mind blowing is a lot of them happen subconsciously. So I, I got sober about two and a half years ago. Um, at the time, there was no real; it wasn't desperate. I didn't. I wasn't like, I wasn't in a bad, bad position. But I just saw my life going one way, and I was. Like, I don't want to do that anymore. So I stopped drinking, and then about a year later, I started exercising a lot. Started running a lot. And so I was already putting the tools in place to be better and cope with this, which also makes me wonder whether I knew subconsciously. So when I first met Emma, we met and then we moved into our flat within like two months of knowing each other. It was just like fireworks from the start. And I was 21 and like super ambitious. And she was a bit older. She was 26 and she was more cautious. But I just completely led the charge and I was like, right, let's move in. Let's do this anyway we've lived, lived together for a few months and then she got abnormal cells so she went for her smear test she got um, staged cin3 abnormal cells and she had to have a lex procedure which is where they remove a a portion of the cervix to try and get rid of the abnormal cells so that happened and then when that happened that introduced anxiety into emma's life something that she'd never experienced before and there are some people that suffer with health anxiety and set, but what I've what I witnessed living with Emma was like it was constant it was never out of her mind and that was the first challenge that we encountered Here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. And Emma's main anxiety sparks from the fact that she felt that she was too lucky. So when she found out she was terminal, she, it was quite remarkable. She like came out, gave me a hug, we had our cry or whatever, and then within five minutes she was fully composed and she was like, you will move on, that makes me happy, you're going to be happy again. And it was almost like relief that she finally had this answer that she'd always, the worry that she'd always had in her mind. It's these compulsive thoughts in a way, like if two bad things happened in a week, That ruined our week because we were waiting for a third bad thing to happen. Like, I don't want to paint her in the wrong light because at the same time as all of these thoughts, she was the most radiant bundle of joy ever and she would bring so much happiness to anyone she encountered but it's the, it's those deepest darkest sides of you that only your partner see so she came out and she said those things about me moving on and she said I don't have a bucket list she was like we did it all she was like I met my kids I found the love of my life I bought a house all these things that seemed completely unattainable we travelled the world we took Bart on tour she was being brave and I don't believe that she really meant it like but she she could feel happy knowing that she'd done so much. But that is what's so hard about anxiety is that you can then also suffer in your happiest moments because you're like, well, this is too good to be true. And I'm very fortunate that Touchwood, and so far, it's not got hold of me. Like I just managed to stay present. I got really into watching football when Emma got sick and I didn't realise what I was doing. But as I've recently been reading um, Eckhart Tolle's The Power yeah, of Now, he's amazing. what I was doing was you have to be engaged to concentrate on football. It's live. if they like, It's not something you can pause. So I was actually, without knowing it, trying to be in the yes. now. And that's why I got so much enjoyment out of watching football. And then I started playing football. And so that was massive for me. Yeah,
0: I think that's a very important point because a lot of the time we focus on things that we think we should be doing. Like we must meditate to be present. People are like, I don't know how to meditate. I don't want to meditate or you should be doing whatever, you know, the new craze is. But, you know, like you've just articulated, you find your thing, whatever it is that keeps you in the moment and keeps you joyful, that's good enough and and, and I think Mm. it's really important to, to sort of mark that out that you find what what's right for you and and I know that when we've talked you've you've really wanted to sort of talk about or perhaps highlight the importance for men talking about mental health and and just communicating because you know still unfortunately we we see these statistics of male suicide and and it's it's all nobody wants to see those statistics and and one of the things that could help that we do know which is a simple thing is is talking And, and I wonder how much of that has helped you along the way just having good people to be able to vent to you know just let out whatever it is in your head and and have a soundboard
1: yeah I think this whole process has made me realize like the friends that like, not all of your friends need to be that person. But when you acknowledge and you sort of recognise the people in your lives that you can just, like, blow off steam and they will pass no judgement. And and it is hard. And I had to go to... I went to a Milan therapist for a while because mm. what's very hard about something like the stuff that I was going through is... And this is a bit of advice for anyone listening that has a friend. Is the most frustrating thing to hear when you're trying to offload is well, my mum was sick and she said this, yes. or, or with, with your cousin or whatever, you need to be able to sometimes just offload and then there's silence yeah. or there's just like, oh, yeah, that must really be hard for you. And so that's something, I've just moved into a new house and I'm settling and I'm unpacking boxes. But the minute that, you know, I'm in a routine, I'm going to get a therapist because I do think that as good as all friends are, it's a luxury that I can afford, but it is... Um, and it's still a bit of a taboo subject, but I've yeah. got a lot of friends now who do go to therapy and it's, it's becoming less taboo. And I just think to talk to someone neutral, because it's hard to find those friends that aren't going to pass judgment and aren't going to have an input. And, and if you're not confident, then you're going to start listening to what they say rather than listening to your inner compass.
0: Well, isn't that the case? The outside noise becomes almost deafening at times. And it's hard to know perhaps who to trust or who should be your one true guide through like what you've been through grief or, or whatever it is that we're experiencing. And, and you know, like you've said there, it's about pinpointing your intuition and and what you believe is right. So so do you think at, at this point, and I know this is still all very raw and recent for you, but do you feel in touch with that inner voice? And are you able to kind of, navigate what you're experiencing by listening to what's going on inside
1: yeah I think 90% of the time I think I've got to be honest and say that like I mean three weeks ago I just hit just hit the floor just like not physically but just mentally I just spun out and I realized I'd stopped being myself and I'd started asking everyone's opinions and I'd started and it's like no one was going to tell me getting a spiderweb tattooed on the side of my head was a good idea, so you have to just <laughs> do it yourself. <laughs> and and then when you start asking people if you, if they like the way you dress, it's like, well, you need to just dress how you feel happy. And it's all those things. It's you. It's so easy to fall into community thought, which isn't a bad thing, but really, that's not going to make that's not going to get to the bottom of what makes you happiest. But also I'm not a stranger to grief. So this is something that's been really important in my life that I've been able to harness before. So when I was 16, my dad suffered a major stroke, um, leaving him paralyzed down one side. You know, it wipes out half of your brain. So he's got memories, he can talk, he's present. But as far as like the dad I was living with up until I was 16, that person was gone. And in that time from 16 to the band being successful i made sort of a semi conscious decision to not be defined by the bad things that had happened to me but using them as fuel and there isn't a right or wrong way about grief like everyone should do it their own way but i didn't want to be defined and i didn't want to be known as that guy that ha- whose dad was sick so there was even there was a time when my manager had been managing me for like 2 years and um he met my dad and he was like you didn't tell me your dad was in a wheelchair and that, that was just really important to me. And it's also something that I'm navigating now with what's happened with Emma is that I'm not going to be a spokesperson for this or that. I still need to remain Laurie. That's really important to me, to my family, to everyone because being defined by grief then takes your personality away. It's harrowing and it's awful, but I'm very grateful because I'm in a much better position than a lot of people. I was able, I haven't had to work. I've been able to look after my family. I've got a roof over my head. It's about understanding that it's awful, but then understanding that it could be worse. And people hate hearing that it could be worse. And sometimes you do need to just get under a duvet and cry. But for me, getting up and achieving something is what fuels me. And this year has just like lit a rocket under me, basically.
0: Mm, I think that's really wonderful for for so many people who'll be listening to this to hear because I think when you're experiencing something like grief or depression or or any of those extreme experiences that, that we can go through, it can feel endless and it can feel very defining in the moment. And I think for you to sort of be able to to still see the positives that are in your life and some beautiful ones like your family and like this you know, amazing, creative ignition that's, you know, taken off this year for you um, is is a great comfort to a lot of people. Um, and I can only thank you again for not only sharing your story today, but also your music, because it's always been a, a great healer, well, for everybody, but self-indulgently for me, my God, it's been... I'm not musical at all, but for me, listening to music and listening to musicians channel something so powerful will always be a mystical alchemy that I can't understand, but I just love. So mm. so thank you so much. And I really hope that we can work together again in some way, because I think there's so much more we could talk about. There's there's so many more things that that we could discuss, and I really hope we get to do either a part two of this at some point or or a continuation yeah. in some way, because... It's so important that that you're talking about your story and, um, you know, just so much love and and luck to you, Laurie. And again, just a massive whack of gratitude headed your way.
1: (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks again to lovely Laurie. So appreciate him sharing and being so open about such an important subject. You can hear Love You Bye by Larry Pink the Human right now as part of the Happy Place album on Apple Music, Spotify and on a limited edition vinyl. The full album features Emily Sunday, Sam Fender, Ludovico Einaudi, Amala and many more. Thanks again for listening. Go live your life and I'll see you tomorrow.